Let's get straight to the point. You want to grow your portfolio to deal with the rising cost of inflation to pay off your debt or your mortgage, pretty much anything standing in the way of you and financial freedom, right? Well, with Yahoo Finance, you can get access to the news, data, and tools that you need in order to help you reach that financial freedom. And when it comes to your financial future, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, you've invested all that you can. And now you need to take those investments to the next level by using what every financial great uses. Yahoo Finance. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been the brand behind every great investor. They're the number one finance destination, producing a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and so much more. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination. That's yahoofinance.com. Traffic jams, tailgating, pileups. Ugh, the joys of driving. How could it get worse? The federal government wants to have a say in what you drive. That's right. The Biden administration's EPA is pushing mandates that would ban two out of every three vehicles on the road today. Don't let Washington become your backseat driver. Protect the freedom of driving your way. Visit energycitizens.org. Paid for by the American Petroleum Institute. Hi, everybody. I am back. It has been just over a week since I did my last podcast, but I am here this evening live for another Peter Schiff Show episode. And I want to start out today's uh, podcast by discussing what just happened less than an hour ago. About a half hour ago, I logged out of whatever program I had logged into in order to witness the latest hearing in my defamation trial down in Australia regarding the 60 Minutes Australia broadcast from October of 2020. So over two years ago, right, I'm still litigating this defamation because my adversaries, uh, the the station and the reporters, using that word lightly, who defamed me, have done everything they could to drag out my ability to vindicate myself and salvage my reputation. As I mentioned on my last podcast, the last time we had a hearing, the judge, my new judge, who replaced my original judge, who got promoted, threw out the 60 Minutes defense because it was incapable of proving truth and gave them a month to come up with a new defense. Now, they had already come up with three defenses all of which were inadequate and rejected. And the fact that they even had three defenses shows you that they have no defense because if they had a defense, they would have just you know, articulated it the first try. But they kept you know, grasping for straws because they had nothing. And of course, they never would admit they made a mistake. Uh, so they just keep digging themselves into this hole. So they had 30 days to come up with a defense. Well, today was the day they were supposed to be there to present the judge their fourth defense. Uh, And the fourth time was not the charm for 60 Minutes Australia because their fourth defense is no defense. They basically dropped all of their defenses 
and admitted without basically admitting it, but de facto it's an admission that they have no evidence. They have nothing. They don't have a shred of evidence that's even capable of proving that I committed any of the seven crimes that they accused me of committing. Now, if they don't even have any evidence that you can argue in court, because we're not even going to have a trial on this anymore, because they don't even have enough evidence for a trial. And so if they don't have a single shred of possible evidence that I did anything wrong, why did they accuse me of doing all this stuff on national television without having a single piece of evidence that was even capable of backing up these accusations? Think about how unethical reporters would have to be to do something like that. I mean, first of all, for over a year, 60 Minutes, the reporters, you know, Nick McKenzie, Charlotte Grieve, right, this group that I sued, for over a year, they lied and said they never defamed me. They never accused me of doing anything wrong, which was an incredible lie. Because anybody who watched the 60 Minutes broadcast knows that they accused me of all sorts of things. So they forced me to have a hearing as to whether or not they had defamed me. And as a result of that hearing, the judge ruled, yes, you accused Mr. Schiff of doing these seven things. Your broadcast, the 60 Minutes broadcast, contained seven defamatory information. Uh, seven defamatory imputations about Mr. Schiff, all of which, you know, were basically accusing him of being a criminal. So they're very serious imputations. And and so now Nine finally has to acknowledge the fact that they defamed me. But then they came up with another lie because they couldn't lie anymore about having defamed me. So now they lied that they could prove that everything that they had denied accusing me of I actually did. But not only did they claim I was guilty of committing all these crimes, they actually had the proof that I was guilty. (laughs) And so they have an opportunity to submit their defense. But their defense didn't actually contain any proof of anything. It was so weak that they didn't even get a chance to present their case in court because they had nothing to even base a case on. And that's what we found out on uh, today, for sure. So the defense is gone. So I basically have won the important part, I guess, of the defamation case, although not necessarily important from a compensation aspect, because what is yet to be determined are my damages. Yes, they defamed me. They accused me of committing seven crimes without having any evidence that I committed any of those crimes. And of course, Had I committed any of those crimes, why would I be walking around a free man? Why wouldn't somebody have arrested me by now? I mean, somehow these reporters down under, you know, in Australia figured out something that none of the police uh, in the United States, the FBI, the IRS, none of the people who actually, you know, are involved in, in, in auditing me or investigating me, they couldn't find any evidence they did. I did something wrong, but somehow these reporters in Australia, well, they had all the evidence that everybody else missed. I mean, it was preposterous on its face. But I now have to try to prove damages, which, of course, is the most important part now of the case. You know, what are my damages? But now, here is the next lie that these guys are telling. It really is incredible that you can have such unethical behavior 
right, on the part of what are supposed to be legitimate uh, 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 you know, journalists, which they're not. They're now saying that even though they defamed me, even though they accused me of committing all these crimes, it shouldn't matter because I'm a criminal anyway. My reputation was so bad, according to 60 Minutes, before they accused me of committing these crimes, that accusing me of these crimes didn't actually damage me because I'm such a bad guy. <laughs> you know, my reputation is already horrible. You can't ruin a reputation that's already bad. <laughs> now, what is their new evidence of my bad reputation? Well, most of it are my podcasts, the podcasts I'm doing now. They are saying that the stuff that I say on my podcast is so bad and my reputation has already been ruined by me. I've already ruined my own reputation. And so there's nothing they could say that would make it any worse. This is what these guys are saying. Now, what is it about my podcasts that 60 Minutes Australia finds so offensive that it amounts to criminal behavior? Well, it has to do with my defense of the U.S. Constitution and my criticism of laws and regulations that I think violate the U.S. Constitution and you know, violate individual liberty and freedom. Now, what that has to do with Australia, because I don't really know much about the Australian Constitution, uh, and, and you know, this is all about you know, Australia, and you know, did I encourage and, and facilitate tax evasion and money laundering in Australia? Because I didn't even have any American customers at my bank. So clearly, you know, what was going on with my bank had nothing to do with Americans because there were no American customers there. But think about that, because I am not a socialist. I don't believe in big government. I believe in individual liberty and the rule of law. That makes me a criminal. <laughs> you know, and, and some of the specific things that they are calling me out for, and I'm not making this stuff up. <laughs> One of it is that I oppose the Patriot Act, right? Oh, he opposes the Patriot Act. Therefore, he is in, he, he is in favor of money laundering and tax evasion. No, I'm not. I'm in favor of the Constitution. I'm in favor of the Fourth Amendment. A lot of people in America, a lot of sitting U.S. senators opposed the Patriot Act. It didn't pass unanimously. There was some opposition to the Patriot Act. Are all these people criminals because they didn't want to surrender all that individual liberty to the U.S. government? You know, the whole idea behind the Patriot Act was that we needed to give up our liberties to be safe, right? We had these terrorists that were going to hurt us and so to protect us from terrorists, we had to surrender these essential constitutional liberties. I don't want to make that bargain. That's not a winning trade. I listened to the words of the founding fathers that, that who said, I think it was either uh, Jefferson or maybe it was Franklin. I get some of these quotes mixed up. But they said, you never want to give up liberty to get some safety. Because if you value your safety more than your liberty, and then you give up your liberty to get the safety, not only will you lose your liberty, you're going to lose your safety too. You don't want to do that. Look, because I want the government to abide by the law doesn't mean I'm a favor of criminality. You know, they're, they're using a podcast against me where I said, look, I'd rather some people get away with tax evasion than all of us have to lose our constitutional rights. They're saying that means I'm in favor of tax evasion. That means I'm advocating tax evasion. I mean, could they actually be that dumb? No, I'm advocating for the Constitution. 
And I'm saying, yes, I want the government to get the bad guys, but they also have to protect the good guys. They have to protect their constitutional rights. At the same time, they have to figure out how to prosecute criminals, yet still protect uh, the innocent. You know, and, and that is the whole basis of the entire American legal system. It's built around that. I'll talk a little bit more about that on the other side of this break and then get into more uh, interesting things that happened in the market. Uh, so stick around. Traffic jams, tailgating, pileups. Ugh, the joys of driving. How could it get worse? The federal government wants to have a say in what you drive. That's right. The Biden administration's EPA is pushing mandates that would ban two out of every three vehicles on the road today. Don't let Washington become your backseat driver. Protect the freedom of driving your way. Visit energycitizens.org. Paid for by the American Petroleum Institute. Okay, we are back. And I'm talking about the latest round of lies being told by my adversaries, adversaries in my defamation lawsuit in Australia. And so again, they're trying to equate my defense of liberty and the Constitution for criminality. And I started to say before the break that our whole legal system is built on protecting the innocent. It's more important to protect the innocent than punish the guilty. You know, there's an expression that it's better that a hundred guilty people go free than one innocent person be in prison. But apparently that's not true in Australia. According to uh, 60 Minutes Australia, down under, they would rather put a hundred innocent people in jail just to make sure that one guilty guy doesn't get away with it. I mean, I don't know if it's really like that in Australia. I doubt it, but I wouldn't want to live in a country like that. You know, a lot of times in America, guilty people go free. It happens all the time. The cops screw up, right? They, they, something happens with the chain of evidence. They, they break the chain or the custody, or they don't give somebody their Miranda rights. You know, they don't say you have the right to remain silent. Anything you say can and use be used against you. If you don't Mirandize the suspect, and then he says something, well, you know, it, it, it's inadmissible. So a lot of times, guilty people are let go. It happens all the time to protect our constitutional rights. See, the most important law that the government has to enforce really is the Constitution. Yes, I want the governments to go after the money launderers or people who break the law, but the most important uh, law that has to be enforced is the Constitution. It's important that the government not break the law. It's more important that the government honor the law than any one individual, because when the government violates the law, the whole country suffers. You know, a criminal, yes, you know, some individuals suffer from a crime and that's bad, but not 300 million of us. So it's the government. That's where it's the most important. So if a, a crook, right, if a tax cheat gets away with tax cheating, that's okay if it means that we protect our constitutional rights. I am not willing to surrender my freedoms and liberties just so the government can catch every tax cheat. Some people are going to get away with it. You know, the government has to figure out how to enforce the tax laws while respecting the Constitution. Now, they're probably going to end up using this podcast against me. Oh, you see, you see, this is proof. He's advocating for criminal behavior. No, I'm not. I want the government not to behave criminally. I want the government to obey the law. I guess in, in Australia, no one gives a damn what the government does. The government can do whatever it wants, because maybe the Australian government is not restrained by a Constitution 
uh, the way the United States government is. Now, also, another thing that they're using against me to prove that my reputation was horrible was that I defended my father, which I have. But I've never advocated that people follow my father's advice. In fact, every time I've talked on this podcast about my father and his position on taxes, uh, I've always said that I don't advocate that you follow his advice. Even though I sell his books, I tell people, hey, go to Shift Radio or Shift Books and buy a copy of the Federal Mafia to understand my father's arguments against the income tax. I've always prefaced that by saying, don't follow his advice, pay taxes, right? Uh, and you know, don't uh, take the principled constitutional stance that my father took. I've never advocated that. I mean, I've never done it myself. Why would I advise or advocate that other people do something that I'm not willing to do myself? Everything I do for myself is what I advocate, especially when it comes to my investment strategies. I, I am recommending that other people do what I'm doing myself. Now, the degrees are different because everybody has a different uh, you know, risk tolerance or objective. But in general, the economic print, the, the investment principles that I, I recommend for my clients are the same ones that I follow personally. The same thing with taxes. And in fact, the other thing that they're using against me to prove that I'm advocating tax evasion is that I advocate lowering taxes, tax minimization, tax avoidance. Like they're trying to use you know, my, my movement to Puerto Rico. The fact, hey, he lives in Puerto Rico, so he's obviously a criminal. He obviously is fine with tax evasion. He's living in Puerto Rico. I'm in Puerto Rico not to evade my taxes. If I wanted to evade my taxes, I didn't have to come to Puerto Rico. I could have done that from Connecticut. But the, the thing is, I abide by the tax laws the way the government enforces them. And so I took advantage of a legal strategy by relocating to Puerto Rico. In fact, there was an article today in the Wall Street Journal that focused on a lot of people that moved to Puerto Rico because it was focusing on the real estate market. But all those people moved here you know, after me, and they paid much higher prices for their properties than I did. Um, but they moved here. Are they all criminals because they moved here? Of course not. There's nothing criminal about this. It's like if you take advantage of the mortgage deduction, are you a criminal because you used a lawful deduction to lower your taxes? That's all I've ever advocated is reduce your taxes lawfully. Now, why do I think people should pay less taxes? Because I don't want the government to have the money. I think the money is better if it's left in the hands of the people who earned it. I think government is destructive. I think government hurts the economy with the taxes that it collects and the money it spends. So I think the more money that's left in the private sector, the better. So out of patriotism and out of my economic understanding, I advocate that people try to minimize their taxes. But there is nothing illegal about that. Uh, no American has a legal or moral obligation to pay $1 in taxes more than the law uh, uh, provides. And so if you can legally reduce your taxes, there is nothing wrong with that. And But 60 Minutes is trying to equate that with tax evasion and my advocacy of tax evasion. So they say, hey, even though we accuse this guy of uh, committing tax fraud, uh, uh, helping criminals launder money, so money laundering, uh, you know, all these crimes. It's okay because he's a criminal anyway because he's a conservative or because I'm a libertarian, believe in the Constitution. You know, this is what they're advocating. Meanwhile, go online. You can see that 
the 60 Minutes defamatory broadcast that 60 Minutes has known was defamatory for two and a half years because they've known the entire time they were BSing that they had no evidence to prove any of the allegations that, that are in that uh, um, broadcast, even though they've now admitted publicly to the court that they have no evidence. And that, so I win. They haven't taken this stuff down. The broad, it's still up there. It's still up on YouTube. It's still up on the 60 Minutes um, website with all their past programs. It's on the Age website. They have a condensed version of that uh, uh, 60 Minutes broadcast. They haven't taken any of it down. Of course, have they apologized? No. They accused me of committing these crimes, destroyed my entire business. I lose tens of millions of dollars, maybe more. My my business partner lost his life because he ended up having a heart attack and died, Mark Anderson. They do all of this. Think about all my customers now, who now it's almost 11 months and not a single customer of my bank has gotten one nickel out of that bank, right? But all this stuff happened. It was all, the dominoes all fell because of 60 Minutes Australia, right? They, they, they started this whole chain reaction uh, by accusing me of using my bank to facilitate all these crimes, and they made the whole thing up. They knew they didn't have any evidence, yet they're still digging in their heels. They're still asking me to come up with money to pay for their BS defenses. I've had to come up with over 200 grand already that I've had to pay them to perpetuate a BS defense that never even had a chance of winning. And of course, I paid a lot more to my own lawyers down there, but I wouldn't have had to pay any of this money had they just been a little bit more honest. I mean, I offered to settle this thing two years ago for a retraction and an apology. That's all I wanted. Hey, you falsely me, accused me of doing this stuff. Just admit that you were wrong. Admit that you didn't have any evidence and I'll drop my case. You don't have to pay me anything. I wasn't even going to pay my own legal bills. I just wanted them to say we were wrong. We, we, we didn't, you know, he didn't do any of this stuff. They refused to do that, even though they knew they were wrong. Now, maybe they just thought I was bluffing that I wouldn't sue them. And then they dragged the whole thing on, ran up my costs. But this is an extremely unethical uh, news agency. And it, the irony of it is they're accusing me of doing all these bad things, of being a criminal. I'm the only honest one there. They're the criminals. Their conduct, I think, is criminal. They're the liars. They're the frauds. Not me. I'm the honest person that they're attacking because of my politics, which they've admitted, because they're saying, because I am a free market, libertarian, conservative, however you want to describe me, that makes me bad. I am already a criminal for holding those views, right? Unbelievable. Of course, this is not going to fly. I don't think the judge is going to buy any of this nonsense, but it has to happen. They had to schedule a new hearing so we can talk about this BS theory that I don't have any damages, and that's not for another month that I have to wait. And so this whole thing is being dragged out. Meanwhile, you know, I, I still haven't been able to officially vindicate uh, my, my reputation. Anyway, uh, I got another commercial break. We'll come back up. I got a lot more stuff to talk about on this podcast, so stick around. Okay, well, I'm going to change gears and now focus a little bit on the markets. Gold now back below $2,000 an ounce. In fact, it's down to $1,960 an ounce, which you know is still a much higher price than it was when the year began, but we were trading north of 2,000. And we've had a pullback, including a $25 pullback today. Um, I think at the lows, gold was off a little over $30. The catalyst for that sell-off 
was more tough talk from, I think, three different uh, Fed members about how June is going to have another rate hike. That the idea that they could take a pause in June and skip a meeting doesn't seem to fit given how bad inflation is. That inflation is still a problem. It's still persistent. And so we need to continue hiking. And, and so that caused the sell-off in gold, a rally in the dollar, and also a sell-off in the bond market, particularly in the shorter end of the curve. So the yield curve steepened on this tougher talk that the Fed is going to be hiking more. And in fact, if they hike in June, which it seems like they're going to do because they've obviously just laid the foundation for doing that. Uh, and at the end of the day, the stock market went up. In fact, the NASDAQ made a new 52-week high today. And the Dow, which was down most of the day, still managed to be up uh, over 100 points. But again, the NASDAQ was the star, especially these tech stocks uh, leading the way up. Uh, NVIDIA up 5.2%. That's a new 52-week high. Microsoft up 1.8%. In fact, Microsoft and NVIDIA are almost back at their 2021 all-time record highs. But you had other, Google up 2%. I made a note, Meta was up 2%. Netflix up 9%. I'm not even sure what the news was on Netflix, but they were up 9% today. These are big moves. A lot of it has to do with AI. You know, I think that's the new theme now because you have stocks that are already implementing AI to cut their costs. Uh, they're going up. But then I think the stocks that are going to be the companies that are going to help other companies implement AI to cut their costs, right? Anybody that's connected already to AI, uh, that's kind of the new dot-com. And, and so you're starting to see a movement or have been for a while in a lot of these stocks. So the stock market is shrugging off uh, a you know tougher Fed, but gold got hit, bonds got hit, the dollar uh, got a boost uh, fr from this. But if the Fed does this, the Fed funds rate will be five and a quarter to five and a half. That will be the new range. Now, this means that rates will exceed the peak of the prior cycle, which was the last rate hike in 2006. I think it was June of 2006. The Fed hiked to five and a quarter. At that time, they didn't have a range like they do now. I'm not really sure when they decided to go from a, a fixed number to a range. I think that was somewhere when they were at the zero bound because they were never officially just zero. It was between zero and 25 basis points is where, where they were. And so then they just kind of kept those ranges uh, when they started hiking. But the number in June of uh, 2006 was five and a quarter, and it stayed at five and a quarter until uh, you know sometime in 2007 when the Fed cut rates for the first time right, on the way uh, to, to zero percent. But if this hike comes in June, a few weeks from now, that will put us at five and a quarter, five and a half. So we will be above the rate hike level, the interest rate level that precipitated the 2008 financial crisis and Great Recession. Except the difference is today, we have so much more debt than we did back then. Everybody has a lot more debt, the government, corporations, individuals. So that level of interest rate will do far more damage today than it did in 2007. And we know how much damage it did then because we had the financial crisis of 2008. So the financial crisis that has already begun in 2023 is going to be much worse than the one that we had in um, 
in 2008. And in fact, it just even looking at debt, I was looking at some of these numbers. So household debt is now above 17 trillion. This is at the end of Q1. This is the first time that households have ever had this much debt. But here's the even more disturbing part about it is the credit card debt, because credit card debt in the quarter was flat for the first quarter. But the first quarter of a year is typically the quarter where credit card debt goes down. Why? Well, because people spend a lot of money in December because, you know, the holidays, Christmas, Hanukkah. So people are buying gifts and spending a lot of money on their credit cards in December. And so what generally happens in January, February is they pay down those balances. So it's a quarter where you typically see credit card debt going down. But in the first quarter of this year, credit card debt didn't go down at all. So Americans are using their credit cards as a lifeline. That's how they're dealing with higher prices. They're charging stuff. And in fact, if you just look at the month of March, in March, debt was up, credit card debt, just just credit cards, not you know all the other debt that's going up. $17.6 billion in March alone. That's in one month. And that represents a 17.3% year-over-year increase in the amount of credit card debt that households are carrying. The interest rates on that credit card debt is 20% on all that money. Now, this also shows you that the Fed is making no progress on inflation because the consumer keeps spending. Where are they getting the money? They're borrowing it. Credit continues to expand. That's part of the inflationary dynamic. Inflation is about an expansion of the money supply, which includes credit because this credit is being spent. So consumers are not cutting back on their spending because of higher prices. They're not even cutting back on their spending because of higher interest rates. They just keep on spending. So prices are going to keep on rising. And this next quarter point rate hike isn't going to be any more effective than the previous rate hikes, which means they're going to have to do it again. They're going to have to go from five and a quarter to five and a half to five and a half, five and three quarters, six, seven, eight. They're they're going to have to keep hiking rates. But no matter how much they hike it, it's not going to matter. That's what the market still don't understand. You know, gold, again, sold off on this tougher Fed. Oh, the Fed's going to fight harder to beat inflation. No, the Fed is losing its fight with inflation. That's why it's going to try harder, but it's going to be ineffective. If they couldn't beat inflation with five, they're not going to beat it with five and a quarter. And again, all of these rate hikes are price hikes. They're all going to be built in to the um, into the cost structure, the price structure of all of these businesses that are having to deal with rising prices. And, you know, we got the leading economic indicators that came out today. I've been talking a lot about the LEI. It was down again, uh, not as much as the prior month, but it was down for the 13th consecutive month. Now, the last time we had a losing streak that bad was 2007 to 2008. June, I wrote it down, June 2007 through April 2008. That was like the financial crisis, the collapse of Lehman Brothers. That's where you have to go to find a streak longer. And it was actually 22 months of negative LEI. Now, we're only at 13 months now, but you know, I think we're going to break that record. And the, the most ironic part about it is the biggest positive indicator in the LEI and without this, it would have been lower, is the stock market.
because the stock market is going up. But I've said this before, the stock market going up is not a sign of a strong economy. It's actually the reverse. The reason the stock market is going up is because investors expect a recession and they expect the Fed to cut rates at some point due to that recession. And that's why the stock market is going up. Although, you know, there's also the, the AI stuff. But, you know, the flip side in the short run of companies using AI to lower their costs, the reason that AI lowers your costs is because you lay off your workers. That's how you save money. You have AI do the work instead of employees. So in the short run, that's going to fuel uh, the unemployment. And again, you know, maybe the market's like that because they think, oh, the Fed's going to see this unemployment and they're going to have to reverse course. But again, the reason that that's not going to be good, I don't think, for the markets is because inflation is still going to be a problem. And that problem is going to get even more out of hand as uh, as the Fed starts easing to try to prop up uh, the collapsing economy. Now, the other issue with credit has to do with the federal government. And again, the national debt ceiling uh, debate is gain gaining momentum. And, and another reason, too, for this, and part of the evidence of the weakness in the economy, is in the month of April, the government's tax revenues were 43% lower than they were in the prior year. So despite the inflation, despite the fact that prices are going up and spending is going up, the government's revenues are going down. In fact, this April, the government collected less tax revenue than it did in April of 2017 or April of 2018, right? Well before COVID. April is normally the month where the government gets a lot of money because that's tax month. Everybody pays their taxes April 15th and sends in their checks. So it's one of the few months where the government runs a surplus. And of course, those surpluses are then offset by all the months it runs a deficit. Well, this April, the surplus was much smaller than normal. So there's less there to offset the deficits that are going to occur in all of the other months. The question is, why is tax receipts going down? Well, because the economy is weakening. And so there's not as much revenue being paid into the government but the government is spending even more. So the deficits are exploding well north of $2 trillion a year, uh, which means the national debt is going to keep spiraling out of control if we raise the debt ceiling, which of course everybody wants to do. And the, the most ridiculous thing now about you know uh, Biden, he was on television talking about it or the Democrats, they're basically saying that if we don't raise the debt ceiling, all hell is gonna break loose. I mean, all of our prosperity is going to go away. It's going to be complete economic mayhem. Everybody is going to suffer if we don't raise the debt ceiling. Now, what does raising the debt ceiling accomplish? Well, it allows the government to take on more debt. As if 31 and a half trillion wasn't enough. If we raise the debt ceiling, we can go deeper into debt. Well, why is that a necessary ingredient for our continued prosperity? According to uh, the, the, the White House and you know pretty much every Democrat on television, we owe our prosperity to the national debt. That, that That's the ticket to the good life, that we need a government to keep on running up more debt, that that's the, the secret, right? That's the secret sauce to our economic success. It's government debt. And without the government running up more debt, we're all doomed. That's what they want us to believe. Because if they don't raise the debt ceiling, what happens? See, they're saying, well, that means we default on our treasuries. 
That's not what it means. If they choose to default on our treasuries, that's what it means. All it means is we have to balance the budget. Right? There are a lot of people who run for office and they say, I'm in favor of a balanced budget amendment. When I ran for office, I said, we don't need a balanced budget amendment. Just don't raise the debt ceiling. And that automatically requires you to balance the budget. If you can't take on more debt, well, then you have no choice but to balance the budget. And that's what would happen. If we don't raise the debt ceiling, then the government has to balance the budget. So what the Democrats are saying is that a balanced budget would destroy the economy. If we had to balance our budget, everything would collapse. If we had a fiscally responsible government that lived within its means, the whole country would implode. Now, what would implode is the bubble, right? The fantasy would, would collapse because we couldn't kick the can down the road anymore. That's what not raising the debt ceiling is. It means the buck stops here. No more can kicking. That's the reality that the politicians want to avoid. They want to avoid facing the music, right? So that's why they want to raise the debt ceiling, not because it's going to ensure our prosperity. It's just going to ensure our demise happens later. But that collapse, when it happens later, will be worse. You see, the more they succeed in postponing the inevitable, the worse the inevitable gets. And we know it's inevitable because what are they saying? If we don't raise the debt ceiling, we can't pay our bills. Well, that means we're broke. If we can't pay our bills unless we go deeper into debt, then we are broke right now, right? Because in theory, we have plenty of revenue to pay our bills, right? Because interest on the national debt isn't even 10% of the, 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 the current uh, uh, federal uh, spending. So the government can do it. They just have to cut spending someplace or raise taxes, but they refuse to do that. And so they want to raise the debt ceiling. But I also want to talk again because about this idea that they can invoke the 14th Amendment, because more and more people now are talking about this. In fact, Biden is actually saying that this is what he might do. And he claims that the, the debt ceiling is unconstitutional uh, because it violates the 14th Amendment. And, 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 and it doesn't do that at all. In fact, the only time that the government seems to care about the Constitution is when it inhibits their spending, right? I mean, that's what the Constitution is supposed to do limit government spending, living, limit government power. That, that's what it was written for. But the, the 14th Amendment, it's got nothing to do with the debt ceiling. The debt ceiling isn't unconstitutional. What would be unconstitutional is trying to use the 14th Amendment to circumvent the debt ceiling. All the 14th Amendment reads, in part, is that the debts of the United States shall not be questioned. Questioned, that's all it says. Nobody is questioning the debt. We have tremendous debt. We all know that. Nobody is in denial that we have debt, right? So the debt is not in question. The question is, can we pay the debt? And the answer is no. Nothing in the Constitution says that the debt has to be paid. It just says that it can't be questioned. Now, of course, if Biden feels an obligation to pay the debt, then pay it. But you just can't go above the debt ceiling. We have a limit. We have a legal limit on the amount of debt the government is able to take on. That's not unconstitutional. And if the government wants to pay the interest on its debt, there is nothing stopping them from doing that. The debt ceiling isn't stopping them from doing that. The government has plenty of money to pay the debts. If they don't pay the debts, it's because they chose not to. They chose to prioritize some other expenditure over paying interest on the national debt. So it's got nothing to do 
uh, with the 14th Amendment. It's got nothing to do with the debt ceiling. It's got to do with Congress's refusal and the president's refusal to cut any government spending right? or to raise taxes on the middle class, which I still don't even think would be enough to cover this. So they make up this BS that, well, we're just going to have to default if we uh, if we don't raise the debt ceiling. A lot of bad things are going to happen to politicians if we can't raise the debt ceiling because then they have to face the music, right? They have to face reality. They have to fess up to all the lies that they've been telling. So now they tell this other lie and they want to pretend that the, the, uh, the, the, the debt ceiling itself is unconstitutional. It's not unconstitutional. It is a law that has been enacted by Congress. It's been on the books for 100 years, right? Nobody's ever considered it to be unconstitutional. And it's not up to the government, the president, to unilaterally claim it's unconstitutional. That, he can't do that, right? So, somebody would have to sue and it'd have to get into the Supreme Court. for But, but of course, that's not going to happen because there's nothing unconstitutional about limiting the amount of debt the government can take on. We're not questioning the existing debt. We know the debt is there. The law just says you can't take on any more debt. You got to pay the debt that you have. You can't go deeper into debt. And how do you pay the debt that you have? With the tax revenues that you currently have, it's, which is more than adequate to do the job. But they refuse to do the job. And this argument is all BS. Now, another uh, uh, topic I wanted to discuss today, I, I was listening to the, the news on Target. Target's earnings came out. And Target admitted that they lost about $500 million on the quarter to a billion. They're not sure exactly how much, but due to theft, right? They talked about inventory shrinkage, you know, and, and so they lost all this inventory. At least 500 million of it was theft, but maybe as much as a billion, but somewhere in there uh, was due to theft. Now it's obvious, right? What's happening, right? We have all of this lawlessness uh, you know, following, you know, the the, the Black Lives Matters, uh, George Floyd, all those protests where all the police just, you know, backed away from enforcing the law and basically let it be known that shoplifting wouldn't be prosecuted. And the, the, the police basically stood down, giving the criminals carte blanche to commit crimes, knowing that they're going to get away with it. And so it's not a surprise that we have a crime wave. In fact, I predicted this crime wave years ago that this was going to be the obvious consequence of, you know, defunding the police or the police basically afraid to go after criminals. Right. So we had we sent out invitations to criminals to commit crimes. Why are we surprised that these criminals have accepted those uh, invitations and are now committing crimes? But Target doesn't want to admit that. They don't want to be called racist, I guess, or they want to be politically correct. So in their earnings report, they don't mention anything about this. There's only one reason that they came up with that I heard of. I mean, if there's another one, I, I mean, it didn't make it into the news reports that I that I listened to. But they're blaming it on the proliferation of online marketplaces that make it a lot easier for criminals to sell the stuff that they steal. You know. Sites like eBay, right, where you can sell stuff. So apparently that's why there's all this crime, because of these online marketplaces. 
That is pure BS because these online marketplaces have been allowed for a long time. That was one of the first businesses that, that, that came up on the internet. You know, eBay's been around for a long time and they're not the only uh, site uh, where people can sell stuff. No, that's not why. And in fact, if that was the reason, then you would expect to see crime uh, kind of evenly distributed throughout all of their stores. They know that all of that criminal activity, all of that theft is happening in specific locations, right? They know where all the stores are, uh, that are that are getting robbed. The smart business decision would be to shut those stores down, but they don't want to do it. They are afraid because they know what's going to happen. If they go into one of these cities, right, that may be heavily minority, where all these crimes are being committed, and so their stores are losing money. They are losing money on these stores. But if they shut them down, they are going to be the, 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 the subject of all kinds of protests. They're going to be accused of, of, of racism or whatever they're, they're going to get accused. We've, I've already played clips or I've watched clips where that has happened when stores have been closed. I mean, it was Walmart, whoever it was, was closing some of these stores because there was so much theft and there was a huge protest. How dare you do this? These are our stores. How dare you close them as if you know they, the, the public owns the stores? They, they don't. These are businesses. They are there to make a profit. And if they can't make a profit because all of their inventory gets stolen, then they should close down. But they're not closing down. So they're saying they're trying to introduce different ways that they can cut back on theft. None of it's going to work. The theft is going to continue because there's nothing they can do about it uh, in the current political environment in these communities. And so what's going to end up happening if a company like Target, and Target stock was down about 4%, Today, not actually that big a move. Uh, I mean, I think the stock should be down more than that, and maybe it will be over time because I think that you know they're they're in trouble here. But they're going to have to keep these stores open, and the merchandise is going to keep getting stolen, and so they're going to keep losing money on these stores. Now, let's say they just raise prices in these stores to offset all the money they lose at those stores. Well, they're going to have outrage again. Well, you're price gouging these the, 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 the customers uh, who can least afford it, right? This isn't fair. Why are you raising prices in these neighborhoods? Maybe the neighborhoods would be more African-American. They'll say, oh, you're discriminating. You're, 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 you're charging African-Americans more. But how come you're not raising prices over here where there's white customers, right? So they, they don't want to do that. They're going to end up having to raise prices on all their stores everywhere in order to cover the losses on these stores that they don't have the guts to close because they don't want to be politically incorrect. And so everybody is going to end up paying higher prices all over the country at every uh, at Target to cover uh, all the theft that is taking place at, at stores that they should close, uh, but, but, they're, but they're not closing. And so then that's going to give their competitors an advantage because if I'm not Target and I'm opening up a store near Target, maybe I can offer lower prices because I don't have to make up for the losses on stores where I'm losing a lot to theft because I don't have a store in those locations, right? I'm just going to open up a store in the locations where, where people aren't, uh, aren't stealing. And so I'll be at a competitive advantage. But, you know, on the same line, I want to finish up today's podcast by talking a little bit about my, my trip to, to Disney. I was in Disney World 
uh, with my family, and I, I ran into a lot of people uh, at the, the Rebel, Rebel uh, Capital Live conference. And so uh, uh, it was good seeing a lot of people who are fans of this podcast. But while I was down there, I found out that uh, the Splash Mountain ride, which has been in Disney ever since I was a kid, was closed down. And I actually found out about it because it was very hot. And I was like, hey, let's go on Splash Mountain. A lot of times, you know, you get a little wet on Splash Mountain, but on a hot day, that's good. And so my, my guide, the Disney guide, who I mentioned, you know, my Disney guy, said, you know, it, it's closed. They, they closed it down because they're, they're renovating it. They're, they're, they're changing the whole ride around. They're, they're rebranding it. And the reason was that there was a lot of protest that the ride was racist because it was based on this racist movie. And the movie was Song of the South that, you know, came out, um, I think, in 1948 was when Disney premiered this movie, this, the, the Song of the South. And the Splash Mountain ride is based on this movie. Uh, now, of course, most of the kids that go on the ride today, I mean, they, they, they've never seen this movie. They have no idea that it's based on it. I mean, you don't even see the character uh, uh, the, who everybody was objecting to. You know, the, 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 main, the main character in, in, in the movie is not depicted in uh in the ride right you just see one of the tails of brer rabbit brer fox i mean they're chasing around and at the end of the ride you know they they play a song you know they, they're playing zippity doodah at the end of the ride uh which is uh an oscar winning song from that 1948 movie uh it's, it's one of the best disney songs out there sung by a a a, a black entertainer right the guy's name is james basket who is the actor that paid, played Uncle Remus in, in, in uh, Song of the South. They win an Academy Award for, for, that, um, for that song. But apparently today, a lot of people think, oh, it's a racist movie because of the way he was depicted. You know, he was living, you know, on a former plantation where I think at one point he was a slave, but now he's a free man. Uh, but it, it showed him in a stereotypical way. And so there are people that say, oh, it's a racist movie. I saw that movie as a kid. I mean, I didn't think it was racist at all. In fact, I think that movie in 1948 actually broke a lot of racial barriers because uh, his character was a very sympathetic, lovable character. There was nothing bad about Uncle Remus. In fact, he basically took on the role of father to these two white kids whose father was too busy working to pay attention to them. And he entertained them with these stories of, you know, black folklore. So this uh, movie helps to bring black folklore to the mainstream. And he's telling these stories, right? African-American folklore to a white audience. I mean, a, a general audience. But the fact that you have this black guy, very sympathetic, nice guy, who is loved by these two white kids, maybe more than they love their own father, I think this was, you know, an important step in, in race relations, showing that blacks and whites uh, can, can get along. Back in an era where there actually was discrimination, this guy, James Basket, actually suffered real discrimination. That movie, Song of the South, premiered in Georgia in a theater, and James Basket couldn't even go into that theater because he was black. They wouldn't even let the star of the movie into the theater to see his own movie. That is discrimination, right? That's racism. This guy endured real racism. 
not the BS that people today are claiming. I mean, we have so much less of that today than there was in 1948, but it actually gets worse. This guy won an Academy Award, an honorary Academy Award, so he didn't win Best Actor, but they gave him in 1948 a special Academy Award for his performance, a black actor. He was the first male black actor to win an Academy Award, right? The first African-American to win an Academy Award was, I forget her name, uh, in uh, um, Gone with the Wind, right? Mammy, she won Best Supporting Actress. That was the first. But the first man to win an Academy Award was, was this guy, James Baskett, the guy they want to cancel uh, from history, right? They want to uh, forget about this guy because they, they think this one character uh, was stereotypically black. And meanwhile, not only was he the, uh, the first black man to win an Academy Award, but he's the only person. I mean, since him, there hasn't been another honorary Academy Award given to any other adult. I think there was a kid that got one or something, but he's the last adult, 1948. The Academy uh, was so taken by his performance in this movie that they issued him an honorary Academy Award. Now, two or three years late, months later, the guy died. He died, you know, at 44. The guy had a heart attack, uh, but you know, he had diabetes. So he died at a young age. But this is his legacy. This film is this guy's legacy, right? And I think he was a, a, an African-American hero. He's the kind of person that we should celebrate. He endured uh, racism. He persevered. He, he had a brilliant performance. He sang an incredible Disney song, probably one of the greatest songs. And Disney's come up with a lot of good songs. Uh, but Zippity Doodah is one of the best. I mean, again, it won an Academy Award. Yet, instead of honoring this guy and commemorating this guy, they had to destroy his Disney ride. It's, oh, no, we can't have that ride. We, we have to pretend you didn't exist. I mean, this guy would be rolling over in his grave. This is not the way to honor uh, this African-American. In fact, there were some people back in the day that, you know, said, hey, you shouldn't have taken this role. It's kind of demeaning. And he defended the role. He defended the performance. So if this guy, the guy that played uh, Uncle Remus, who actually lived in an era of discrimination, was proud of this character, was proud of this performance, who are we, or whoever they are, it's not me, in 2023 to somehow say, no, 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 this, was a, this is horrible, this is racist, and we need to get rid of this ride, <laughs> this entire ride, just because it is some way linked to this movie, which, by the way, you can't even see. Disney is too afraid to put this movie on uh, their network, you know, where, you know, based on, on this, and I think this is a much better movie. Like, you know, they just, you know, remade Peter Pan and, you know, they made Tinkerbell black and they made the black, the, the, they made the, the Lost Boys uh, girls. Uh, you know, they, they can't even have the Lost Boys anymore. I guess that's sexist. So they had to put a bunch of girls in there. And of course, I think there were some other, you know, I don't know, you know, he, you know, uh, him, hers, he, his, whatever, the LBGQ. They, they, somehow, you can't even have lost boys anymore. I mean, why not? I mean, what's the big deal? You know, it's not sexist, so there are some lost boys. But, you know, everything is being whitewashed or whatever to be politically correct. And because this group of people has somehow determined that Uncle Remus is racist, 
then we have to uh, for, forget about this entire film and this Oscar-winning performance of a courageous African-American actor. This shows you this, this, this sheer hypocrisy of this movement because they should be honoring this guy, not trying to pretend he doesn't exist and erase him uh, from history. But, you know, I think it's a power grab because Disney just caves into this, right? And everybody wants to cave in because everyone's afraid of being called a racist. So the minute they want to say, oh, you better, you better get rid of this ride from Disney. You better ban this movie because we claim it's racist. When you cave into that, you empower these people to see what else they can get away with. They start demanding more and more and more as proof that you're not a racist, right? That's how we've gotten into all this reparations nonsense. People are afraid to say they're against reparations because if you're against reparations, well, you must be a racist. After all, you're against reparations. Of course, that's why all these politicians, you know, they come out there and they say, oh, you know, we're going we're gonna to have a committee to study reparations. They're too afraid to say it's a ridiculous idea and we can't afford it. But then, you know, they end up looking ridiculous when the committees that they appoint come up with this reparations number. Hey, everybody should get $5 million. And they're like, oh, we don't have the money. Sorry, we can't do it. Right. Well, what was the point of having a committee? You knew that was what that's what was going to happen. These are just a bunch of cowards. They're afraid to speak out. They're afraid to tell the truth. It really pisses me off that Disney does this. You know, I mean, it's not like I'm at the point where I boycotted the whole thing because, you know, I took the kids there and, you know, you know, Disney is a, a good entertainment experience uh, for kids. I just wish they could take the politics out of this. And, and, and I wish that uh, instead of, you know, trashing their heroes, right, they could honor their heroes. I mean, look at the type of people that they've now made into a hero. See, George Floyd, he's a hero, right? But this guy, James Baskett, let's erase him from history. No, let's, let's, let's honor him. Let's celebrate him over, over uh, uh, George Floyd. Anyway, that's it I, for today. I've had uh, a long conversation. We're going to have, I forgot, I've got the question and answer at shiftradiopremium.com. I'm doing that right after this episode. So if you're not now a, uh, a member of local Shift Radio Premium, you might want to sign up. Uh, because then you'll be able to participate in the Q&As. And, you know, if there's anything that happened, you know, over the week last week that I didn't talk about in today's podcast, the Q&A is your chance to ask me about it and to get my response. Anyway, that's all for tonight. Take care, everybody. 